0: So we are coming to the end of a series we've been looking at on um, a time to grow, and and um, we're going to wrap up by having a look at this text, which is just answers some very profound questions and has a, a wonderful vision of our life together. Um, here we go. And these are some of the questions that it will help us find answers to, that is, how do we grow together as a church, as a community? And then at a personal level, how do you find a transcendent purpose to your life? By which I mean, how do you, how do you find something to live for beyond uh, the material things of life? Um, money, career, relationships, um, pleasure, those kinds of things. And then the third question, which is pretty profound as well, is what does it take for people to become followers of Jesus? Um, and uh, and in the same way, Jason has become a follower of Jesus. What does it what does it take for us as a community to help people become followers of Jesus? And uh, here's the answer. We'll start with the final question, and then we'll move back, and you'll see that our Our transcendent purpose and goal in life comes through helping people become followers of Jesus, and that is also how we grow as a church. So here's the thing. People come to know Jesus through other people, right? Now, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but here's the thing. Uh, We all come to God, by and large, on the arm of a friend, And you go, well, why should that be the case? I mean, shouldn't God, aren't you important enough that God would just speak to you directly, give you a special zap? Aren't you that valuable that he should just zap you directly? Well, you are that valuable, but that's not the way God works because Christianity says that at the heart of reality is a community of persons. It's about relationships, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that what God is doing as he connects with us is drawing us back into and healing the relationships that we're in. So the way in which we come into community with the God of relationship is through relationship. And that's humbling because we like to think, well, God should. But, but no, we come on the arm of a friend and we come through ordinary people, don't we? I mean, just ordinary people average folk, you know, um, our friends, not perfect saints. It's, God doesn't just use people who have it all together and never stuff up and never mess up and are never selfish. And we come to God through ordinary communities of people like us, just ordinary, everyday people with our failings and our flaws and also our glory and our wonder. So that's how we come to God. And it's humbling. But look at, how, look at what Paul says in this text, right? Um, he says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. We come to believe through other people. So that's exciting. Now... Um, think back to your like, spiritual journey, whatever it has been. Who are the people who have influenced you the most on that journey? Okay, now, if you feel comfortable, stick your hand up and yell it out. Who's, who's influenced you most? It doesn't mean necessarily the one who's brought you to church, but who's, who's had an influence on you? in your spiritual journey, deeply? Your parents, yeah? Youth group leaders, yeah? Your teachers, yeah? Your dad, thanks Oliver. Your mother-in-law, wow. It's a miracle. (laughs) An Afrikaans mother-in-law. Um yeah. Friends who believed before you did? Yeah. Your year five scripture teacher? Yeah. This is how life works. We come to Jesus on the arm of a friend. God works through people, which is really phenomenal. Then, well, what, what sort of people does he work through? Um, well, we come to know Jesus through other people who are servants of Jesus. This is actually the defining characteristic, right, of those who influence us on our spiritual journeys. It's that they understand and live, not as perfect people, but as those who are servants. So here again, the text. What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Now, a bit of background. In the ancient world, much like today, People loved celebrities. They loved celebrity speakers. You could make a lot of money by being a traveling uh, philosopher, speaker, entertainer, who would move from town to town and, and you know meet in the local hall or in the town square and give great speeches. And there was a celebrity status associated with these people. And in the church, this this became part of their culture as well. And and these people became followers of Jesus uh, in Corinth. And um, they started to gravitate around celebrity preachers, high-profile, articulate people like Apollos, who had a great reputation. And some people said, well, Apollos is fantastic. He's great. We all love Apollos. Um, And the Apostle Paul goes, hang on, hang on, hang on. what after all is Apollos? Implication. Eh. And then he says, What after all is Paul? Now you say, who was Paul? Paul wrote the letter. But let me tell you this Paul is the second most influential Jew who's ever lived. Okay? That's pretty amazing. Like, obviously, who's the first, who's the most influential Jew who's ever lived? Jesus, that's the right answer. Yeah, yeah. And the, the second most influential Jew. And I well, Seinfeld. <laughs> I wasn't actually, uh, maybe fourth or fifth. Um, um, uh, what am I going to do, sack him? Um, I'm going to keep using that joke for the next 40 minutes. Um, so Paul, in addition, well, we, he didn't know at the time, but Paul is the guy that God used to start the early church. Like he changed the face of the world. He took the message of Jesus and he took it outside of the constraints of uh, just the Jewish faith and said this is a message for the Gentiles as well and for the whole world and it's because of the Apostle Paul that you are sitting here tonight. I'd be fine because I'm Jewish, but you all are only here because of Paul unless there are any other Jews in the house. And and he says, even though, like knowing all of that, Paul goes, Oh, what am I? What's Apollos? What's Paul? He says, What we really are is servants. We're we're servants. That is their identity as servants. Yes, servants and servants of whom? Servants of Jesus in spite of all Paul's incredible learning and unbelievable uh, effectiveness in planting churches and changing the world, in spite of Apollos' great rhetoric, you know, they'd started churches all around the empire, he says, we're just servants, man. We're just servants. So if you want to know how to live a truly great life, if you want to live a life of transcendent purpose, and if you want to make a difference in the world, learn to live as a servant of Jesus Embrace servanthood. Now that comes off the tongue very easily, but it's really not very popular, is it? It's not popular at all. Uh, I did some research this week on servanthood and leadership. So when I, uh, I did a search on Amazon to see how many books there were on servanthood, how many books do you think I found on servanthood? Well, in my search, 433. Aren't you glad I told you that? Uh, and actually, some of them were weird, and I thought, this has nothing to This isn't even a book. But, uh, and then, then you do a search on Amazon for books on leadership. How many books on leadership do you think uh, would be returned on an Amazon search? A gazillion, it said to me. It just said, a gazillion. No, it actually said more than 100,000. I think it was trying to say, hey, could you refine your search a little better? Because you really don't want to scroll through more than 100,000 books on leadership. So that is interesting, isn't it? We all want to be leaders. Not a lot of us want to be servants. Because this is how we fundamentally conceptualize life. Than if you realize this, right? But this is this is how we tend to think of life that uh, that life is esse- and our relationships are essentially binary. And up here, you have the leader. Uh, let's call the leader X, and you have the follower, and the follower is Y. And uh, life and success is all about being, in being X over Y as much as you possibly can, because X gets to tell Y what to do, and Y has to do what X wants them to do, right? And in this kind of established hierarchy, of course we all want to be X. You want to be in charge. You want to have power. Uh, and this is the human condition. This is, not, this is not a function of the 21st century, but this is just the way we are. Uh, now, there's a different way of conceptualizing this, right? Uh, and much more helpful. And you can see some of it start to emerge in the literature around management and so on. And long before Peter Drucker or any of the management thinkers started writing, you see it right here in, um, in 1 Corinthians 3. And and this is a better way to think of it. You've got you've got someone who's X, and you've got Y, but there's something in the box that you, that is the basis of the relationship between X and Y, right? And we'll call that Z, because we could. And uh, and on this basis, uh, both X and Y, this the leader and the follower, the leader and the servant, find their authority and their influence from their relationship to this third part, right? So X is authorized by Y to lead Y because X themselves is a servant who is submitted to, to getting to that third box, whatever it is. So you can, you can think about this in a business, for example. You'd say, well... Uh, your core task of a business might be to, I don't know, provide uh, accounting services to other companies. So everybody, the whole business, what is, is around providing the world's best accounting services to companies. And, and in that provision of those services, natural hierarchies occur people take on leadership in those organizations who have the skills and the capacity and the character to help the organization deliver on that primary task. Okay. Now. Uh, This is what um, Paul says. Here am I. I'm Paul. Here's the church in Corinth. Now, Paul is the apostle. He planted it. He's clearly in a hierarchical uh, arrangement with them. He's the leader. But he says, I'm still a servant. And he is. He's still a servant. And actually, he says, you know what? The church is also still a servant. And of whom are they a servant? Jesus. He says, Paul serves Jesus. The church serves Jesus, and the church then follows Paul to the extent that Paul can help them follow Jesus. Do you see how that works? I mean, it's actually exactly what's going on here tonight, isn't it? Maybe not exactly, but I hope it is. Ideally, it is. You are here because inside of you some way uh, you want, well, let me rephrase, you are listening to me now exercise my authority and power to teach and speak because you hope and you think that somehow what I've got to say is going to help you connect with God. And the only reason you're doing that is because you think that, that you've, you've made a judgment about me. And you've watched my life, and you've listened to me, even if it's only for the last 10 minutes, and you're constant, constantly evaluating, and you're going, is Mark helping me connect with God? And to the extent that we can work together, and I am, I am a servant of God, and you're a servant, we're, we're working on that task together, we build a great church, not a cult. Because cults happen when you miss the box, you miss the Z, and it's just about the exercise of power and control. You see that in workplaces as well, by the workplaces become controlling and toxic when it's all about power and control, and status and hierarchy. What you see here as well is that leadership, these hierarchies are not entrenched, nor are they determined on the basis of uh, ethnicity, culture, gender. They are hierarchies that emerge and are arranged because of a, a capacity to help all of us arrive at uh, a a commonly agreed goal, which in the case of the church and I would say of humanity is about coming to know Jesus and connect with Jesus. Right. Now, um, there is a question for all of us, right? Let's, let's drill down maybe away from church just for a moment. And you see, we can think about this um, in all areas of life. I can y- y- the question we've all got to work out. Say you're here. Uh, I'll, I'll just you're here, and you're thinking about your life. What is, if you want to think about your life, what is the, s- the most important decision you can make in your life? Yes, that's great, Judy. Well, the other way of putting that is the most important decision you can make is what are you going to put in the box? What are you actually going to put in the box? Right? Because because, uh, as the third most influential Jew who ever lived, Bob Dylan, in his... uh, in his 1960s album, Slow Train Coming, uh, which one, re- one reviewer described Bob Dylan's voice as the sound of a piece of sandpaper calling its mate, um, I would recommend to go on Spotify, listen to Bob Dylan's album, Slow Train Coming. It is brilliant. Dylan is a Jew in the, in the 60s counterculture, had an experience of Jesus and wrote this amazing album. And, and before you go to bed tonight, go on Spotify or go on whatever, whatever and, and look up the track, You Gotta Serve Somebody. Because Dylan understood with great clarity, and he said this to everyone in the counterculture, he says, you have to, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. We all put something or somebody in that box, okay? We've all, we're all serving somebody. The question is, uh, what is it? Now, what are some things, and, that, and in the box we can put any, a whole number of things. So what are some things that we, as a, in our culture, might be tempted to put in the box as the thing that we submit ourselves to, that we live for, that we give our lives to? Let's think out loud. Sorry? Money. What else? Fame. Oh, man. I just want to be famous for being famous. Famous. Or for sitting around a, sorry, family, yeah. Property, yes, with a view, yeah. Ah, proficiency, gosh, it's, you will be when. Work, career, yeah, work. Or read, the, yeah. What I can even read some of it. Sport? Yeah, or more broadly, like recreation, maybe. Recreation, leisure. You all are a bit young for this, but some people put retirement in there. And have you ever met those folk who are like, I just I'm just living so waiting till I can retire? And you go. Yeah, sure. The environment, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, gee, environment. It's now this is now in the box, but we've... Yeah, now this is interesting. We put our self. But, but what of ourselves do we put there? So you put the self. So this is the self. But the self is driven by the self. But what bit of the self? So what drives us then? Ego? Yeah, I would say, you know, what, you know what it actually is generally? It's pleasure. It's what the Bible says, the desires of the flesh. Because that's what we have. We, and the desires of the flesh are, um, you know, you can understand really all of the things in the box in terms of a drive to get that to feel good, minimize heartache, minimize hardship, have a great life, uh, you know, personal peace and affluence. These are the things. So, And can you see that when you put those things in the box, you're then going to find people who can help you get there. Right? And you're going to listen to all kinds of craziness and all kinds of people who help you. Now, of course, if you're good, if you're, if you're competent and good, what you actually will be able to do, you will spend your life saying, actually, I don't want to be here, do I? What I really want to do is be here... So then I can get a whole bunch of little minions down here to help me achieve what I want. And I'm going to use others to get pleasure for myself. I'm going to u- use others, and I'm going to try and convince them that along the way it's good for them, but really it's all about me. Does that make sense? So what we put in the box, that matters a lot, right? And the, and the heart of Christianity says this. What goes in the box? Well... Jesus, to whom we submit, to whom we submit. We are the servants of Jesus, and, the, and he is the one, he goes in the box, so maybe we'll change colors here, what you really want, and all these, because all these things, by the way, are good, like none of those things up in the box are bad. They only become problematic when it becomes, they become the thing that you live for, when they control you. And actually, the Bible says you become a slave to these things. And so um, here's, a, here's another way of conceptualizing this. Let's go back to here. You want to know what God wants you to do with your life. You want to know a truly great life. Maybe you think, can think of it in these terms. What you want to do, and, and these bits are interchangeable. Here's you. Here's Jesus. And and if Jesus is the one who we follow, what goes in the box if we're in that kind of relationship? Heaven? Or well, heaven on earth? Healing the world. Another way of putting that is the, the phrase Jesus uses, the renewal of all things. The tikkun olam is the Hebrew phrase he used. Uh, another way of putting that is Jesus teaches us to pray. You may be familiar with this in the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus, and when you, when you look at this, you, you know what? You see that what God wants to do is to use us to work with Him, to bring other people to know Jesus one life at a time, so that through them the world becomes the way God wants it to be. As the Lord is assigned to each his task, He gives us a job. I plant the seed, Apollos waters it, but God gives the growth, God grows this. Because we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. God is at work in us. Let's think about this for a moment, right? Um, What we want, how we want to heal the world, is by helping people come to know Jesus, right? Because think of this. It's a little thought exercise. What would the world be like if every single person in the world lived as a servant of Jesus, under his command, living their lives exactly the way he wants them to live. What would our world be like if everybody seriously, consistently followed Jesus? It would be heaven. It would be a healed world. There would be no gender-based violence. There would be no domestic violence. There would be no um, addiction and abuse. There would be no poverty. There would be no despoiling of the environment, like it would be. There there would be no broken relationships. That—that's God's plan, and that's His plan for us. If if you are a follower of Jesus, in whatever form you are, the plan is that we help others come to follow Jesus. Why? Because. And Jason put this as well as anyone possibly could. As a matter of a historic fact, he lived, he died, he rose again, he's coming back again. And following him is the path to, to real life. Following him is the path to a life after death. Following him is the, is the path to make this life work. So you and I want to know Jesus, and then you and I want to live in such a way that other people will come to know Jesus. That's the plan. And we don't do it from a place of arrogance. We do it because I'm a servant who has found in Jesus uh, what I need to live, and, and, now, and now I want you to find it. We're like people, you know, we're like a starving person in the desert, or a person who's dying of thirst in the desert who has found water and now calls out to everybody else in the desert, hey, come here, here's the water that you need. Or it's, you know, there's no arrogance. It's just, here's life. Come and find it. This is, and and we're to do this together. So people come to know Jesus through other people who are servants of Jesus and who work together with each other and with God. We do this together as a community. As each of us plays our part, God has a task for all of us, for each of us here in this church and beyond, to live for him. And you know what? He then works with us. This is the amazing thing. I plant Apollos waters, but God makes it grow. So I've got a job. I use my skills and gifts. You've got a job. You use your skills and gifts. And then we all do this together with all our whole variety of abilities and skills and gifts. And we do that in whatever way we can. And you know what? God is with us. To help people grow spiritually and to connect with themselves. And that's amazing, eh? Like, that's cool. You, you, you want to know there's something wonderful you can do with your life. You can work with God to change other people's lives for all eternity and to build a church that is packed to overflowing with people whose lives are being changed so that heaven comes to earth, so that Sydney looks a little more like God wants it to look. And if we do this job one life at a time, what'll happen is, uh, all the indicators of social cohesion will go up, all the indicators of brokenness will go down. This world will become better, and, as, and then <laughs> what we will be offering people is not just a better life now, but that this the, the better life that starts now is just a foretaste of the new creation of heaven that comes on the other side of our death. So, that is what we are about. That is how we are to grow. What is in your box? What are you living for? And will you lean into building a church where we work with each other and with God to heal the world? (laughs) Let's pray. Lord God, Come and uh, encourage us to do this. Thank you that you have uh, worked in our lives to get us to this point, wherever it is, and help us to live as your servants, to submit our lives to you, Jesus. And then with you and with each other, may we commit ourselves to the healing of the world as we help others come to know you and live this out. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.